Welcome to the Colby Cast. Thank you for joining us. Today, Colby's own Elizabeth Hoxie rejoins the Colby Cast, where we continue our conversation from episode 112 of Cura Personalis. Cura Personalis, the Ignatian tenet of care for the whole person, is an important principle for our journey to sainthood and one of my favorite topics for discussion. We hope that you'll enjoy the show. Hi there, I'm Bonnie, liturgical musician, popcorn and podcast fanatic, and Colby homeschooling mom to four lads and lasses of middle and high school age. And this is Stephen, homeschooling father of five and director of development for Colby Academy. Hi, Stephen. How are you? Doing well, Bonnie. How are you? I'm doing all right. Thanks. I'm I'm very happy to get to welcome Elizabeth Hoxie back to the Colby Cast today. Visiting with her is always a delight. Hi, Elizabeth. Lovely to see you. Hey, thank you for having me back. Oh, sure. I was about to say thanks for starting your week off with us, but I know you've already taught a class this morning and it's still early. <laughs> Are you a coffee drinker? I, I am. I've got my thermos right here ready to go. Oh, thermos. Okay, good deal. All right. Do you consider yourself a morning person? I am, fortunately. Okay. Okay. Yeah, that works out. Yeah, because it is, it's early here, and it means, which means it's much earlier there for you. Goodness. Okay. Well, today we're continuing a conversation we started in episode 112, which was part of our Colby Cast convention, and introduced the concept of cura personalis, Latin for care of the whole person, a hallmark of St. Ignatius of Loyola's lived experience and spirituality. We covered a lot of great ground in that conversation, which is linked in our show notes, but there's a lot more to talk about, especially for our purposes, ways we can live out these ideals in our day-to-day lives as homeschooling families, whatever that means. Everybody's got a different setup and, and way that we're approaching that. Elizabeth, would you give us a refresher on the tenets of Cura Personalis? Absolutely. So we had such a wonderful conversation last time, and I think we realized as we got towards uh, the 40-minute mark or so that it was a much bigger conversation that we could than we could contain in a single podcast episode. So I'm glad to be picking up with that. One of the things that we talked about towards the end of our last uh, our last podcast meeting was the idea of a schedule as part of career personalis. And that's just been on my mind a lot as we um, kind of got into the school year. And I know our family has kind of struggled to fall into our own routine with um, homeschooling and with my job as teaching and my husband's job as well. And so scheduling is something that we think about a lot. Um, But in the context of career personalis, you know, typically we look at scheduling in terms of efficiency. How much can I accomplish in a particular day? And we've got our to-do list and we're just trying to get all the things done in a day. But current personalis, I think, um, helps us to look at scheduling as a way of forming the person with a long-term vision. I just got done teaching homeroom and we were talking about long-term and short-term goals. And and we said, you know, ultimately our long-term goal is heaven. We all want to become saints. Um, And our short-term goals have to to deal with our our spiritual life um, in terms of daily time we're committing to prayer and our daily efforts to practice virtue and all of that. And so um, with Cura Personalis, we can look at scheduling and routines with that that long-term goal, uh, heaven and and sanctity as as what we're working towards and how we schedule our day. 
when I was in high school, I had the opportunity to work at a nursing home. That was my after-school job. I also was working with the Little Sisters of the Poor, and so they have a wonderful ministry to the elderly, and so they have these nursing homes, and their own sisters live in the nursing homes, and so it was really beautiful to watch these sisters who had spent every day of their lives following a particular routine of of prayer and recreation and ministry. And even those sisters who had advanced dementia, what stuck with them was that routine that they had developed. So they still, um, you know, they went off to prayer and they remembered how to open up their divine office and how to follow along. And so even when everything else was stripped away, what they remembered was that life of prayer that they had developed. I saw a similar thing with some of the elderly women who had been wives and mothers um, with advanced dementia or Alzheimer's with not knowing really anything else about the rest of their life. A lot of times what they um, what they remembered was the physical action of rocking their babies. And some people looked at that and said, you know, that's really sad. But to me, that was such a beautiful thing that what remained at the end of their life was their vocation. So I think when we're talking about scheduling um, from the Ignatian perspective, but also just from a sacramental Catholic perspective, what we do with ourselves during the day, with our with our intellect, with our emotions, and with our bodies as well, that's forming us into this person that God wants us to be, into the saint that God wants us to be. That's spot on. It makes a lot of sense too, as we think about the intentionality of how we approach the day. It seems like it's all too easy to just sort of hit the ground running and just be responding to things that pop up as they're happening in real time and to take a, a more intentioned approach and choose carefully the ordering what we can, you know, not everything we can choose. Uh, we cannot choose exactly how things are going to unfold or, or what we're going to do necessarily. We have to respond in the moment, of course, but to, to take some time to make some choices about how we're going to approach things, which leaves room to respond to things that come up that we cannot foresee. Stephen, you've been talking about this concept a lot too since we had this conversation earlier in the summertime. Anything you want to throw out there? Yeah, yeah, just certainly things that I I love thinking about, and and I always go back when I when I start hearing about this because I guess I I love Saint Ignatius, but before joining Colby, I hadn't heard a lot about Ignatian methods or Ignatian spirituality, and even though I'd read through some of the things, but I guess I'd forgotten, (laughs) but. it, it constantly brings back to mind, you know, again, I've mentioned him before, but one of my favorite authors, Stephen Covey, with his Seven Habits and his Eighth Habit book, talking about the whole person really is what he the whole thing is about, which is, you, you know, we're, we're body and soul, we can't ignore one, one part of our, ourselves and be healthy, you know, so everything is connected. And when one thing breaks down, everything's going to kind of fall apart, but also just, you know, a lot of that, what he's talking about is being intentional about things and, and putting first things first and uh, getting rid of things that, that interfere with that and scheduling, being intentional, as you're saying, about the important things to make sure that those don't disappear. And um, yeah, so all of these things are just like, yep, take t- checking those boxes of, of all of this whole person sort of sort of model. Not that I'm always successful in doing all of these things, but at least knowing that they're having a goal and a plan. Well, we have lots of directions we want to go in this conversation. So 
How about we start with this one? How can families who have members with special needs apply the principles of care personalis for the various individuals in the family, both those with special needs and those who live with and care for them? And perhaps that's everyone. It's just have the whole family unit, for basically. How can we apply this to that situation? Yeah, so part of my role as dean is to work closely with our families who have students with special needs, and that's been a real honor and privilege. And so I've been thinking about them a lot as we've been having this conversation about career personalis. And the thought that that really came to me is that the framework that we set up for our special needs kiddos is really what all of us should be doing. Yeah. Um, I think those of us who are neurotypical have adapted in some ways to cut corners and to be lazy. And we try to do a million things at once. Um, but really the research says that multitasking is literally impossible for our <laughs> brains. So we're really just spinning our wheels by attempting to do all of those things without giving any of it our full attention. We're really just doing all of it badly. Mm-hmm. Whereas our students who have learning disabilities, they can't multitask and they and they recognize that limitation and their families have recognized that. And so they have to have this structure for academics that takes into account their need for movement and for activity and the need for rest and to be still. Um, students often benefit from setting timers so that they have that physical reminder to attend to one thing at a time. Um, they often need a very structured routine for their day. And there's so much that we can learn from that and we can benefit ourselves from following that sort of that sort of routine in our own day. Uh, one of my favorite quotes from Julian of Norwich is she says, um, how busy we've become when we forget how much God loves us. And I think uh, a lot of us, myself included, default not to just a busyness, but to a sustained level of kind of frantic behavior. And we are overcommitting to a million things and we're undercommitting by not giving anything our full attention. And so we forget how much God loves us in all of that busyness. And so for me, it's been such um such a wonderful thing to be working with our special needs families because it's a constant reminder to me that God didn't make us to be frantic. He made us for rest and peace. And so I have learned a lot from our special needs families. Certainly the the reading that I have done in addressing certain issues that I see come up, a lot of the ideas that come from those, I think those are great for everyone. We could all stand to benefit from from many of these suggestions, if not all of them. Yeah. So this idea of scheduling makes a lot of sense, especially when we recognize that we have many moving parts and particular needs that are present and they must be honored that that when we don't do that, there are all kinds of consequences that we could avoid by taking some time to formulate a schedule to approach the day as best that we can. Any tips there? Yeah, so one of the things that's been really helpful for us um, and for our family is to about to think about scheduling in the context of an overall family charism. So what is God calling us to in our marriage and our family life? Um, my husband and I went to a Benedictine college, and so we had a lot of interaction with re- religious over our four years there. And I think we can learn a lot about or learned from religious orders about creating schedules that reflect calling. So the Benedictines, they take a vow of civility. And so their life looks very different from the life of a Franciscan mendicant friar. Um, the Dominicans have this charism to education. And so they build a lot of time into their day for studying because they have teaching and preaching as their mission. And so I think all of us, you know, individually, we have our own gifts and calling, but I think it's worth considering the idea that 
the Lord places particular callings and charisms on marriages and families that can only be carried out by that unity of persons. Um, so for example, my husband and I just celebrated our 12th wedding anniversary. And over the course of our marriage, we felt this consistent calling to hospitality, which probably has a lot to do with our formation by Benedictines. Um, so our daily schedule reflects is reflective of that charism. I'm not the best housekeeper by any means, but part of my morning routine is to wipe down all the bathroom surfaces to make sure that if somebody knocks on our door and I want to invite them in, that our bathroom does not show that we have five children. <laughs> and our kids have basic cleanup routines they do every day so that their rooms are more or less guest ready. Um, my husband does our meal planning at the beginning of the week. And so we can, if we invite someone over for dinner on the fly, I can say, hey, you want to come over on Thursday night? We're having spaghetti or we're having tacos or whatever. I I enjoy cooking and baking. And so I've spent a lot of time learning about um, different international cuisines so that when we have a priest who's from India or Nigeria, I can make them something that comes from home. Mm -hmm. um, so just ordering our lives towards being responsive to that particular calling that we've discerned in our marriage. And for us, that calling is a real joy. You know, hospitality responding to that is a joy. It's something that um, that uses our gifts and talents, my husband and I and our children as well. But every family is different. So, um, you know, get, getting to know our, our Colby families, some of our families have incredible music and artistic talent. Um, and so maybe their charism of beauty and creativity is reflected in a daily schedule that gives substantial time to pursuits of those uh, of those gifts. Some of our families are really athletic and they have kids who excel at every sport. And so maybe their routine reflects the need for practice and attending games um, to improve in the sport, but also those practices and games, they're an amazing opportunity for evangelization. So I don't think there's one right schedule or routine, but whatever schedule we adopt, um, I think should be reflective of the calling of God and then a good faith effort on our part to kind of align ourselves to whatever his will is for our particular family and for our marriage. I really thought about that before, which I mean, at least in terms of the, the four persons. So that's really lovely to me because four persons for uh, parts of, you know, so I'm thinking physical body, um, emotional, social sort of health uh intellectual health and then spiritual health of course with that spiritual always being the guide of everything else i mean everything's subordinated to our relationship with god and the health of that but my wife and i have experienced that same sort of thing in in our marriage and it's changed at various points in time like when we were younger we lived close to a catholic school and we, we had this idea of we're going to provide a home away from home for these college kids when they get away. And so, you know, we, it was a focus like every every weekend, try to get some of those college kids up when we had small kids and, and things like that. Um, it, and it's interesting to see how much our family was blessed by those sure. things, too. I mean, so it wasn't just we've got something good that we can give to these kids, but my children have been so blessed by being able to see these beautiful young adults that are wholesome people and you know they just surrounded by intellectual conversations and, and everything so there's it comes back so there's kind of we we had to kind of shuffle our things to be like okay i'm going to be the cook so when we get a bunch 
bunch of kids over. I'll throw everything in. We'll we'll figure stuff out. And then my wife was going to be doing the entertaining because she's just much better about that until I get done with cooking and then I'll slide back in. And um, But that's probably a really good thing to try to discern with your spouse. It's like, what is God calling us as a family to do right now? And, or, yeah, that's, I hadn't, I hadn't thought about that deliberately though. Uh, so that's really wonderful. Yeah. That idea of the family having a charism, which I know is an area of, of your particular interest, Stephen. Yeah. yeah. Multiple charisms. Yeah. Yeah. Just so often you'll see that either with individuals who have a charism or communities like religious orders, or even sometimes you, you'll find parishes that very clearly are exhibiting a particular charism. But I'm, I'm positive that that happens with families as, as well, too. And probably every family has a charism that they should be trying to discern. Obviously, what, that's, it's, it's just, when I say it out loud, it's like, well, yeah, of course, but why didn't I think about that before? I don't know. Um, yeah, it doesn't really, yeah, same. I don't really give it a whole lot of thought either until we have thought-provoking conversations like this. Yeah. And it fits in so well with this whole idea of care for the whole person, because it's not, um, you know, care for the whole person isn't this trendy idea of, you know, hashtag self-care, right? Like, yeah. um, it's care for the whole person to, for a particular end, because we're all, uh, all of us created um, to love and to be loved. And so that applies to our, our families as well. We're caring for the physical and emotional and mental and spiritual needs of our whole family, hopefully, ideally with, um, so that we're able to respond to the call of God in our life, whatever, whatever that is. And I, I can see where that there's a there's a real value there to to be intentional and be discerning about it because if you if you get really excited and like okay we're going to do this as a family and sometimes you can not schedule things to balance things properly and say okay well we're having if it's hospitality we're having people over every single night and we have no time as a family then it's like okay well that's I'm sure that's not the way your family's being called to to work so there will be that wholesomeness and that fruit obviously if you're following God's call for your family. So I guess that's an, a way to be attentive, I guess, to to that discernment is where's the where's the peace and joy come in the family? Is this is this something contributing to that or is this adding extra stress and um agony, I guess. True. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's another thing that we can gain from looking at um, our brothers and sisters who are in religious life, that no matter what their charism is, no matter what their mission is, the, the structure of their day takes into account the need for, for recreation, for rest. For prayer. Um, and so uh, religious are very regimented. You know, they might have from uh, 10 to noon as their mission hours. And then at 12 o'clock, it's time for prayer and for lunch. No matter what else is going on, they set it aside, they go to pray and they have their lunch. Um, and so we need, we need to be reminded ourselves that, um, you know, whatever the calling is that God put on our lives, it's not, um, we're not supposed to become frantic because of, it, because of it, we're not supposed to set aside the other needs that we have in order to give 100% to that mission. Um, and yeah, at a family level, you know, even though our family has um, discerned this calling to hospitality that looks different at different seasons in our life, when we have a newborn, we're not inviting a bunch of people into our house, you know, so um, it's just, uh, you know, always bringing back whatever we discern to the Lord and continuing discernment. I, um, 
we've done some some marriage prep over the years. And one of the things that we always tell couples is that discernment doesn't stop after you say I do. It, it gets harder. <laughs> discernment in marriage, I think, is harder than um, the discernment that goes towards uh, determining your vocation in life. The discernment never stops. We also we always have to be constantly um, bringing things to the Lord and, and make sure that we're continuing to align ourselves to his will and to his calling. And again, that that idea of ex examination is kind of coming right to the top in in my mind. Where, as a as a family or as a person, you you, you probably should be reflecting on this as part of as part of your prayer, as part of thinking. How are we doing? How are we doing as far as how am I doing as far as balancing things? How are we doing as a family as far as balancing these things? Are things getting out of balance? Basically, or, you know, and, yeah, just a lot of times even in our our family. I'll hear fights starting up as I'm sitting here at my desk and working out of home. And I'm like, that doesn't sound like a happy play sound with, with my boys in particular. And then I can kind of look and say, oh, it's, it's one o'clock. I wonder if they've gotten lunch. And sure enough, you usually go up and, and it's, it's like, no, they, they forgot about lunch. They've been doing, and I've been on meetings or whatever. So it's like, okay, well, let's go get food and then we can, you know, get something to eat and everything kind of balances out there. So that's a, a very simple, immediate sort of thing. But yeah, if you, if you reflect on the week or whatever, you can start to see, okay, we've got to change something here because we've gotten into bad habits and um, we're not taking care of all of those aspects. Yeah, the need to continually evaluate. You set you set up this the schedule and and identify what needs to be addressed, but it can't go on autopilot, which is all too easy. Okay, well, this seems like an ideal time to shift focus a bit to mental health and how we consider that in the light of cura personalis. How can the concept of cura personalis help us approach the topic of mental health, which might be very difficult for many people? Yeah, absolutely. Um mental health and mental illness have been a topic of interest for me for a long time because I have family members who've suffered greatly because of depression and anxiety. So that was the topic of my thesis research, um, the effect of depression on the brain and how uh, antidepressant medication can help reverse the, the physical damage that's done to the brain by depression. And so I could, I could go on and on about that, but I've really enjoyed getting to know St. Ignatius over my years at Colby because he's been sometimes called the father of psychotherapy because he had just this really keen insight into the inner workings of the human heart and mind. We can't obviously go back and diagnose him, but it seems as though St. Ignatius himself may have suffered from depression and possibly even post-traumatic stress disorder. I think a lot of times the discussion about mental health revolves around the elimination of the symptoms of mental illness, but the church is always there reminding us that man is called to live fully alive, to flourish, not just to be symptom-free. Um, and so there's two particularly Ignatian practices that are pretty simple to work into your individual life, into family life, that I think really contribute to wholeness and wellness and mental health. The first is probably familiar to many of our listeners. It's the Ignatian Examine. Um, and there's many different formats for the Ignatian Examine. I noticed that Catholic Sprouts has a new Examine for Families storybook, which is really beautiful and lovely. And I uh, I ordered it for our own family, and I'm waiting for it to come in the mail. 
But the basic process for the examine is to place yourself in the presence of God and ask him to show you how he's been present in your life, laboring for you, as St. Ignatius says, and how he's revealed his, his love in your life. And then you approach God very peacefully with your sins and your shortcomings of that day, the areas where you failed to respond to his grace and ask for the grace to respond to his love better tomorrow. Um, one of the really interesting things that, that brain scientists have discovered is that oftentimes feelings follow thoughts. So for example, a new student coming to class the first day might think, oh, this is scary. I don't know any of my classmates. And then they experience negative emotions as a response. So maybe they feel nervous or afraid. Whereas another new student might come into class thinking, wow, this is really exciting. I get to meet classmates from all over the world. And then they experience positive feelings as a response. So it sounds hokey, um, but the examine really forces you to think positively because it the framework of the examine is the framework of gratitude. It's a reflection with gratitude on all the ways that God is present in your life, even in the most difficult seasons. And that is really transformative and aids us in um, to not just living symptom free, but also to living in a way that's mentally whole and mentally well. Um, so that's the first. The second kind of tool in the Ignatian toolbox is the process of discernment. And we've talked about that um, already a little bit with our family lives. But St. Ignatius was really aware that we are constantly buffeted by desires and feelings and affections and movements of the spirit that are, are positive and negative. And so the Ignatian practice of discernment can be really helpful in sorting through all that interior noise and chaos. There have been a lot of books written on the subject of Ignatian discernment. Um, but to summarize, kind of the basic steps of discernment are to identify the decision that has to be made and then go on an information gathering <laughs> mission. So obtain all the information necessary to make an informed choice, including consulting with trusted friends or advisors or your spouse, spiritual director, whoever. Um, and then the next step is to articulate a concrete proposal for positive action or proposals, plural. So kind of lay out your options and create pros and cons lists. St. Ignatius was a, a very practical guy. And then the third step is to pray for an openness to God's will and also freedom from any obstacles that might get in your way. So those obstacles might be practical, tangible obstacles, or maybe those obstacles are perfectionism or pride or fear or envy or impatience or, or whatever the temptations are that might keep you from following God's calling in your life. And, um, and then as you go through this process of prayer, you're also supposed to be mindful of your inclinations and your preferences. St. Ignatius taught that God speaks to us through our desires. And so we shouldn't ignore those. We should be mindful and attentive and, and take those into consideration. And then the final step is to act even if you're not sure. So many times we are in a position where we have several good choices as homeschooling families. We all know this, you know, there's a million different curriculum options and a lot of them are good. And at the end of the day, we have to choose because we have to educate our children. And so once we've gone through this whole process of information gathering and, and prayerful discernment and all of that, um, then we have to make a choice and we have to trust that God receives our good intentions and works through them. So that's the kind of the decision-making aspect of discernment. Um, but the word discernment comes from the Latin word discerno, which means to separate or to sever. So Ignatian discernment is not just about decision-making, although it can be very helpful in that regard. It's also a way of life that helps us to separate out the weeds from the wheat. 
to, to, to make a separation, to help us to sever um, those things that are, are irrelevant or detrimental to a life of holiness while maintaining those things that uh, bring us into closer relationship with God and with others. So it's much bigger than just making a pros cons list and, and making a decision about where to go to college. It's a way of life where moment by moment, we're separating away those things that are a distraction from God. And we're focusing our efforts and our attention on those things that bring us into closer relationship with God. And so I, I think that can be very helpful in in regards to our mental health, because um, if we aren't practicing that moment by moment, day to day discernment, then we are easily overwhelmed by a myriad of distractions, a myriad of um, things that are calling for our attention and we lose focus. Again, to quote Julian of Norwich, we, how busy we become when we forget how much God loves us. And so the Ignatian practice of discernment helps us to keep our focus on the love of God and then act accordingly. I think that that aspect of remind well I, I like Viktor Frankl a lot so but that that idea that we have free will and you can you can't necessarily choose what's happening to you in your, or what's going on in your life but you can choose your response um at least to some extent right I mean maybe not always easily so I know there's a reference that Stephen Covey again has in the seven habits and the eighth habit where in between stimulus and response there's a space um and Obviously, as we as we try to become or as we become more virtuous, as we become focused on these things, that space increases that we have more of an ability to hopefully we have more of an ability to choose our response than just, you know, something goes wrong and I get angry or um, or whatever, just just responding in that way. So that's always been a really interesting concept that I think people need to focus on that they can choose there is there is the opportunity they don't have to be a victim of the chaos of their life or bad things that are happening or whatever um and yeah and i, I found it very interesting as as well when we met with matt and aaron ingold they talk often about how you can not only can choose your response but you can choose what you're thinking about um so sometimes it's important to shift your thoughts over to like okay i'm not going to think about that anymore there's nothing i can do about that right now in discerning or whatever so i'm not going to think about it i'm not going to focus on that it's always easier said than done in my opinion but uh but it you can choose it's it's just a and so that discernment seems again important to know what what it is we should be focusing on and the choices and that just makes so much sense with with the information i've you know things i've read before yeah and i love how they how they continue along those lines like let's consider the thought let's look at where the thought's coming from is it true could something else be true all those all those things yeah that's one of the things that we talk about in my health class and it it kind of surprises the students when we're talking about um feelings and emotions and our responses to them i'm talking 
to a classroom full of teenagers who tend to be kind of, you know, high on high on emotions and, and feelings and all of that. When you go into the catechism, the catechism explains that our feelings and our, our emotions, they're morally neutral. They're just there. They're not positive or negative. So feeling angry, um, feeling happy, there's no moral weight to that, but it's what we choose to do with those feelings uh, that is either morally good or or morally evil. And I think that's such an empowering thing for, for teenagers and for us as adults as well, that we're not just kind of the victims of our emotions. We're not helpless when it comes to our emotions. We have a choice. Um, regardless of how I feel about something, I can choose to act in love. And same thing with thoughts. You know, we have control over our thoughts. We can keep them in check and we can be monitoring the thoughts that we have. And like Bonnie said, evaluate, is this a true thought? Is it not a true thought? How, I'm, how am I going to act on this thought? Or how can I choose to think differently about this particular area? So it's just such a beneficial um a way of discerning and uh and being mindful that we do have this free will that is God's gift and we ought to be using it. It's probably a little sidebar here, I guess, but it was just reminding me of as a parent remembering what's what's going on. You're talking about teenagers and talking to your teenage and I just again in choosing your response and in trying to get things set up for success and being deliberate about about the whole person just remind reminded me of how difficult it is to be a teenager right you know so i, I remember hearing a, a mother complain about oh my teenage son he just sleeps all the time and it's it's like well he grew six inches in the last four months you know that's a hard thing to do or just all of these you know hormones that are changing the body in from a childlike body to an adult body and just how difficult that has to be. Um, you know, I get grumpy if I don't get my morning coffee or if I'm a little bit hungry or didn't sleep particularly well. Well, with all of that extra stuff, I think it's, you know, it's as a parent, I, it's just important for me to always remind myself, well, there's a lot going on there and we have to try to set them up as well as we can for success, but also to have that patience and that understanding that, yeah, they're, they're going through some difficult things as far as growth and change. And a huge help in that is Mrs. Hoxie's health class. <laughs> it's been a great, a great help in, in all of us navigating that. I always feel like a little bit of a fraud teaching health class for teenagers because my husband and I are in the trenches of the toddler years. We don't actually have any teenagers ourselves, but you know, toddlers are very high emotion too. And so all the things that apply to te teenagers apply to toddlers as well, to some extent. Um, yes. We noticed several years ago that it really helped our toddlers when they are in the middle of a tantrum, if we help them to kind of fix themselves physically in order to get their emotions are to control. And so um, when our toddler is throwing a tantrum, we'll say, hey, uh, can you fix your face? And then I'll talk to you. And it sounds really silly and it makes us laugh. So it makes it more easy uh, for us to, to deal patiently with the tantrum. But then the toddler will sit there and you can watch their facial expressions change as they kind of try to bring it to a, to a smile. Um, and as they work through that physical process, then their emotions start to settle down a little bit. And um, so I think about that, you know, just in, in the in the context of the church, like how much of how we worship and how much of how we approach God has to do with our bodies. The way that we pray is a very bodily experience. And we have the sacraments that are so physical and all of our sacramentals that are so physical. And so the church is our mother is knows, um, the church in her wisdom knows that we 
as human beings, God made us uh, spirit and body. And so we need the physical aspect as much as we need the spiritual aspect um, in order to be living uh, fully alive, to be living the God, the person that God made us to be. Um, so I think the the experience of parenting toddlers has made that so much more tangible for me when I myself am emotionally in a negative place or whatever to think about, okay, what are the physical things that I can do to address the spiritual or emotional side of things? Definitely. Yeah, there's, there's, I think it was a book by Malcolm Gladwell Blink. It talks a lot about those different aspects of like you were talking about advertisers trying to get you your eyes your your head and eyes moving up and down to kind of predispose you to say yes you know I'm, I'm nodding now and so or even just i mean i think there's most people have this experience that sometimes even if you just make yourself smile you know you not, might not feel like smiling but just putting on a smile can kind of make you feel better after a little bit you you've you you predisposed the matter for the to affect the soul i guess like you're saying with all the different motions and yeah it always seems to work well i mean obviously it, it works but uh it's just interesting it's been helpful for me with my teenagers to, to remember that their phase of development their adolescence there are a lot of similarities with toddlerhood it does help yes and i'll take a moment to note that we have addressed mental health before on the colby cast starting with Elizabeth's first appearance in episode 21, To Live Fully Alive, and followed by episode 45, Grace Perfects Nature, with Dr. Peter Malinowski of the Interior Integration for Catholics podcast and Souls and Hearts Community, along with Jody Garneau, both homeschooling parents and trained mental health professionals with an Orthodox Catholic worldview. Those links are in the show notes for this episode. So among the aims of the Colby cast is to give listeners glimpses into the day-to-day -day lives of fellow homeschooling families, would you be up for sharing some of your homeschooling experience and suggestions, things that work for you, how how you make it work at your house? Absolutely. So our family our family has been homeschooling since our eldest, who just turned 11 is, and is in fifth grade, hit kindergarten. My husband was homeschooled and for him, it was a no-brainer decision. That's what our family should do. But I was a lot more anxious. I was not homeschooled. And so I told him, you know, you know, I'll give it a try, but I'm definitely not committing to 18 years of homeschooling. <laughs> Since enough. then, I've come to love homeschooling, um, but we still take time every year to discern whether homeschooling is right for our family and what form that schooling should take. It does make a lot of sense for our family because we're in the military, and so we move every couple of years. And so homeschooling is a great way to give our kids a consistency in their education. And we also have the flexibility to make the most of our current assignment, whatever it is. Um, so we're in Juneau, Alaska right now, and it rains. I, uh, a friend of mine was sharing the statistics, and apparently the rest of the country has 200 some days of sunshine over the course of a year, and and Juno has 83 days of sunshine because we live in a temperate rainforest. So you better believe that when the sun is shining in October, we're out on the beach or, or on a hike and we set aside school, even if it's a Tuesday. Um, so I love that we have that flexibility in our schedule. Um, I also have found probably one of the hardest things about homeschooling for me has been that I would really like to kind of set things up and 
be done and make our curriculum choices and and have that set and plug and play and go from there. Um, but unfortunately, every one of our children learns differently. <laughs> so every year we go through the process of discernment when it comes to what curriculum we're using and um, what works for one child does not work for another. And so uh, just that process of discernment is is ongoing. We and our family tend to homeschool year round so that we can take time off for moving and for travel. And our day to day routine has a soft structure to it. We're not not a family that thrives on an hour by hour schedule, but we do have a routine. And so we try to knock out our focus schooling in the morning when everybody's freshest. Everybody in the family, including mom, gets a little quiet time in the afternoon to just kind of refresh and, and reset. Um one of the best pieces of advice I received from a veteran homeschooler is that everything counts. So doing math with pretzels, nature hikes, catechism lessons at dinner time that's our favorite time for catechism. It's all learning. It all counts. And so just being mindful, especially on days where, you know, the workbook pages don't get finished, whatever, uh, just knowing that everything counts and that it's all contributing towards our children's education has been really helpful and kind of taken the edge off my own personal anxiety. Yeah. Uh, setting setting realistic expectations is such a such an important part of of that because and especially i think it is it is difficult when you when you're not from a homeschooling background and haven't seen it before necessarily where you think okay well sometimes well you learn i guess fairly quickly but think okay no school ought to look like this it, it ought to look like my public school experience from pre-k through 12th grade that i experienced and then you start to see, well, actually, it's the situation is completely different now. There's not a room full of 20 kids, for one, so you're, you know, eight hours of schooling would would be, for, as an example, might be excessive for a, a homeschooling and probably is because it's would be too intense, you know, but it, it takes a little bit of time to, well, if you're not from that situation, from a homeschooling background, I haven't seen it. It can be a challenge to uh, to set realistic expectations, like you're saying, where it's you're getting done what you need to do, but not sweating the, you know, I, I didn't, we didn't do all of these things or whatever. Absolutely. That was a big surprise to me when we started as I was thinking in that brick and mortar school mentality. And I was surprised to, to learn that, hey, it actually only takes a first grader about 45 minutes to get through what they need to get through academically in the day. And um, we have so much free time outside of that. So uh, that was a, that was a pleasant surprise about homeschooling. Yeah, that's enough. Yeah. Well, and there's such sponges at that point. So as you're saying, everything basically is schooling. So you've got a first grader and you did, you did your formal school in 45 minutes. Great. But now they're learning about the world around them. They're discovering bugs and asking about that or hearing conversations with their siblings and or listening to books and there's just so much there. they're just sponges so i'm not suggesting not doing any formal schooling but even if you didn't they would still just by, <laughs> by being being around them you would you would be teaching them a lot yeah that environment setting up the environment such that it's just the, the rich environment not just it's a rich environment for discovery and learning even if it's not okay it's learning time it's there's still yeah Okay, so interesting. I, I was like getting glimpses into how how folks make it work. And so with your Colby service as well, you're teaching classes, you're serving as dean. How does that sort of fit into your day out of curiosity? 
That's a great question. People ask me all the time how I managed to teach and dean and, and yeah. homeschool my own kids. And the honest answer is there's absolutely no way I could do it on my own. Um, my husband is uh, he's math teacher extraordinaire. He steps in in whatever capacity he is needed. Um, so it's absolutely a team effort. Um, but I've also found that there's an overlap between what I do for a job and, and my own homeschooling. Um, my kids love to look at my textbooks that I'm using with my students. So my fifth grader has read through the biology textbook cover to cover, and he uh, he suggests questions for me to ask my students. Um, my my nine year old daughter was so proud of herself; she put together some Mad Libs for me to use with my uh, my homeroom students. So um, once I convinced my kids that I'm actually interacting with real students on the other side of the screen, that was a question <laughs> in their minds for a while. Um, they really loved to kind of suggest things that I can do with my students and all of that. So it's been a fun, a fun intersection um, between my day-to-day -day life and, and my students and classes as well. Love that. So grateful for distance working or working from home. You know, both my wife and I have worked in, uh, in Catholic distance education for, for years, but her ability to work from home the entire time has allowed her to use these wonderful gifts that she has, just like you're doing with your students, and still be able to homeschool kids. And we've had to, I think you're right, we've had to, well, early on for me, like I realized I was better at cooking than holding a screaming baby because while my wife was cooking so it just be like no i'll just take care of the cooking you you go ahead and and nurse the baby and take care of the baby here and, and uh, yeah there's kind of a tasks that can be split up so you can tag team but but i'm grateful because i would i would be sad if my you know if my wife couldn't do her things for she's got these great gifts and she can share those now so I'm grateful that, that you can do that too, that you've got the opportunity to share your gifts with your Colby students. and, and uh, But then you've got your kids at home and you've got your family there, which is just so beautiful. So I love it. It really is an incredible gift. I'm, I'm very thankful for my years at Colby. Well, we are recording this on a, a Monday morning um, and it has been a great start to our week. Thank you so much, Elizabeth, for starting the week with us and, and sharing all this wisdom on, on these particular topics. I'm looking forward to our next conversation. I hope that's very soon. Thank you. Always great spending time with you. Subscribe to the Colby Cast on your favorite podcast app so that you don't miss an episode. And let us know how we're doing by leaving a rating or a review. And as always, feel free to email us at podcast at colby.org. Mary, our mother, pray for us. St. Maximilian Kolbe, pray for us. Ad maiorem Dei Gloriam. <laughs>